0: Welcome back to episode three of Power of the Patient, a grassroots podcast about getting the care you need for yourself and your family. In healthcare more than anywhere, knowledge really is power, and that's what we're here for. Medicine today saves more lives than ever. That's why we have more older people than ever, because people pretty much aren't dying in middle age. The system works. Yet at the same time, too often it falls short and that gap is where you can make a difference by learning what's worth knowing and knowing what's worth doing. My name's Dave DeBroncard. I survived a near-fatal cancer in 2007 by being involved in my healthcare. I've since traveled around the world to hundreds of conferences and meetings, and I've learned a few things which we'll talk about with lots of expert guests, including expert patients. In episode one, we introduced the series by saying this is the best year ever to get sick, yet sometimes the system falls short of its potential. I said this podcast will be about helping healthcare achieve its potential by supporting and improving your power, the power of the patient. Today's episode is something I've wanted to do for a long time, introduce you to my own PCP, that's medical lingo for primary care provider, which most people just call their doctor, even when it's an NP, nurse practitioner, or PA, physician assistant. Danny Sands is one of the real pioneers of involving patients in their health care. He co-created the computer system at my hospital where I can log in and look at my stuff And he co-authored the first medical journal article about how doctors can do email effectively with their patients. And while most of us have only had those features in the past few years, Dr. Sands did them both 20 years ago. He's a real pioneer. So when he talks about how to do healthcare and the future of healthcare, it's a good idea to listen. Today's episode will be a special two-parter, a real treat because we're going to do two separate teaching sessions. Part one is a hallway conversation we had at a convention where we spoke a couple of weeks ago. We sat down afterwards, and I asked, so what do you think every patient needs to know about getting the best care? This was at a convention, so there's a little bit of background noise. Then after our commercial break, part two will be a reenactment of two actual doctor appointments he and I had, one just before my cancer diagnosis and one after, illustrating what a difference it makes when you both do healthcare the way Dr. Sands describes. We'll get started right after
1: this word from our sponsor. For most consumers, the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. And they really wanna hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. With Loyal's Empower solution, you have the tools to do just that, empower your patients, the patient, And provide a solution, maximizing star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients really are saying about their experience. You could sort, approve, and publish patient reviews of physicians, services, and even practices using some of the intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. To learn more, visit them online at loyalhealth.com.
0: My question is of all the things that you've encountered in the 20-plus years of working uh, on this participatory stuff and learning about healthcare care and how things, what advice do you think everyone should understand? I mean, just ordinary people, not somebody with a drastic cancer diagnosis, although we have separate advice for them. Uh, but what do people need to understand about getting the best available care for themselves and their families?
2: Sure, I I think that falls into a number of different categories. So, I think first and foremost, find a doctor that listens to you, that knows how to communicate and knows how to listen. So much about healthcare can be solved by listening to people. Listen, so we need to listen to our patients. Uh, We need to ask questions. Um, Too often we jump right to the prescription or we would jump right to the referral, ordering that test. But we do a lot less of that if we listen to the patient and understand really what's going on with them. We also need doctors who will listen because we need to understand what's important to you in order for you to be involved in the decision-making. So I think finding the right healthcare professional, number one, is, is important. Number two, you need to step up. That is, is, you need to be the kind of person who actually takes an interest in your health. You're not taking the medication because Dr. Sands tells you you should take the medication. You're taking the medication because that's going to help you be healthy, have better health outcomes, so that you can grow old with your spouse, or you can uh, play with your grandchildren, or you can continue to run until you're in your 80s, whatever that is. Um, those, are the, that's really important. That you need to, uh, you need to step up. You need to understand this is your life we're talking about. Then, healthcare is not a spectator sport. It's a participatory sport. So participate. Step up. Ask questions. Be involved. Understand why. Participate in the decision making. So that's the advice that I'd give you as an individual person in the supermarket as you set this up. I think that, you know, there are other things that I think are important, which is that uh, if you're taking care of, if you're a caregiver for a loved one, you should try to make sure that you're going with them to appointments when these are important medical appointments. If there's someone who's uh, in the hospital, you should go with that person uh, to the hospital. That is, you you know, I think having that kind of assistance in the hospital becomes very important. So another set of ears. Sometimes it's a matter of uh, asking your doctor if it's okay to record uh, the discussions when these are important discussions. But every step of the way in your medical care, there are going to be decisions that come up. And what you need to understand is that you're a part of those decisions. Your doctor isn't making those, shouldn't be making those decisions in a vacuum. Your doctor should be getting input from you, finding out if, the, if this is right for you, asking you questions. And you shouldn't just say, oh, I don't know, doctor, whatever, I don't care. So
0: what about Googling? Do you fit that into uh, just
2: step up, be involved? Yeah, I I think that um, knowledge is power, as Francis Bacon said. And uh, you, ideally, you should be interested in learning about your conditions. This is your body we're talking about. You need to know everything there is to know. I, I have a lot of patients with a lot of different uh, medical conditions. But you're one patient. You have one or two or maybe three medical conditions. You have an incentive to know everything there is to know about those. And uh, you should be looking at that information. And, and that can be a starting point for conversations with your healthcare profession.
0: So how do you know, and we've discussed this at times, how does somebody who's never really thought about this know that something is a website you should stay away from
2: or is probably a good one? I think that's sometimes a challenge. I think, you know, there are reasons that some websites are really popular, and I'm not giving any special endorsements, but WebMD is a popular website because, frankly, it has some decent health information on it. You know, if you're going to a site that no one's ever heard of, it's less likely to have reliable information. But I think that there there are rules you can follow, to understand if it's a good versus a bad health website. And I would direct your listeners to the Medical Library Associations, MLANet is what they're called. They have a website and they have a consumer health section where they have uh, guidelines for looking at uh, health information online and knowing whether this is a good versus a bad health website. Going
0: back to find a doctor who thinks the way you do, what do we tell people about how to go about that? I mean, here I am... I have a limited number of options available under my insurance plan, or I'm located someplace where it's really hard to get to somewhere else. Is it, is it? Am I going to get in trouble, really, if I've I decide that I want to go to the same practice, the same office, but I want a
2: different doctor? In general, you won't get in trouble for, for, for switching, but let's step back. It's very hard to select a physician a primary care doctor or a specialist. Because there are the issues that we talked about, you know, a doctor who listens, communication skills, that sort of thing. To that extent, this is like searching for a, a life partner, a spouse, right? Sure. You know, it's, a, it's, it's different a for everybody. And I have that, yeah. patients who, you know, I've seen patients who, you know, aren't great fits for, for the kind of practice that I have. And I have others who, you know, love to come and see me. And that's, that's fine. You know, you know, patients who, aren't a good fit, shouldn't be seeing me, and I'd encourage them to seek someone else. And I wouldn't be offended if it were someone else in my practice, and sometimes that happens. But the other piece of this is that, ideally, we would have information available about the quality of care that a physician delivers. And unfortunately, today, we don't have good metrics of that. We don't have, a, in general, a website you can go to and find out, well, how good is this doctor in managing diabetes or hypertension or something. And that's because it's really hard. It's not that people are trying to be opaque, but how do you measure that? If I have a high risk population, people who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, don't have access to fresh food and so on. And overall, my patients who have diabetes are in worse control. Does that mean I'm worse at taking care of diabetes? Well, not necessarily, right? So this is why it is a complicated thing to, sure. to, to measure. And we could do better with the information that we do have, and we don't do well on that. So that, I think that piece of choosing a doctor becomes very difficult. But I think at the very least, let's get this communication stuff right. Let's make it a fit. And, and, and ideally, you want a physician who's also able to refer to some top-quality specialists. But, again, going back, that primary care doctor is critically important. And that's where it should all start. Well, and I'm thinking also one measure, I kind of
0: like the, I mean, dating is an odd way to describe it, but you start out, you just don't know how the relationship is going to go, you know, and it's perfectly okay. I mean, I know I feel this way and I think I hear you saying the same from the doctor's perspective. It's perfectly okay to decide, you know what, this isn't
2: working out. Exactly. it, it, It is like dating. It really is, you know, because, look, I I tell people who want to come and see, usually my panel, like that means I'm not accepting new patients usually. I will accept some new patients on request. But I tell people, as we have a discussion about this, so that they're going in with their eyes wide open, I might not be for you. Right. It may not work out. And I am totally not offended if you choose to change doctors after seeing me once or twice or, you know, half a dozen times. No doctor that I know of. Wants to see a patient who is not a good fit for him or her. I don't think there should be anybody offended anywhere a- around there. And you know, by the same token, you know, if you're a, a, if you're t- talking about seeking out a, a specialist who's going to do a procedure on you, you know, maybe you know, heart surgery or back surgery or whatever, you should shop around, find someone who gets you, who, who you really trust, because you're really trusting them with your uh, with your life in many cases, and so. Choose someone that makes sense for you, that, that, that you think is going to be good. And if you have data on the quality of the care, that's very important as well. Any good specialist, any good surgeon, is not going to be offended if you go off and get a second opinion and even get your care with that other doctor.
0: Good. I wonder, since there are so many factors that make different people feel like they've been well taken care of, maybe one measure... Would be whether you, just that, after an appointment, whether it's for yourself or your kid or whoever, whether you feel like they
2: understand you and you're working together
0: effectively.
2: I I agree with you, yes. I think that's absolutely uh, uh, important. I think there's one other thing, and this is um, a more practical consideration. Nowadays, when you're choosing a physician, a primary care physician, you're choosing the network of care that you're going, to, network in which you're going to get receive your mm-hmm. care. And uh, let's say you find a great primary care physician; she's really listens to you, you know, makes eye contact, does all the right things. But she's part of a network where there aren't any good specialists, there aren't any good hospitals, and you know, it's just not good if you get into trouble. I think that's a problem, and it shouldn't be the way the world works, but it does because your insurance wants you to stay within the network that you've chosen. And so I think that's something you have to take into consideration as well. And I, you know, this happens for every doctor, but I have have patients who come and see me from, from further away than you do, who keep coming to see me even though they have to fight traffic for an hour or more because they, you know, it works for them. They like me, they like the network and whatever, and it's worth it to them. You know, it happens. Everyone's different. Everyone has to decide whether they want to make that kind of sacrifice. And ideally... You know, as our networks are broadening into the community, you can find a doctor you really like and is part of a network in your community, and that would be ideal.
0: Oh, and the, of course, that's the beautiful thing about single-payer Medicare. I can go anywhere I want that is in true. the U.S. That is true. It doesn't, I'm, there's no such thing as really out of network. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor.
1: Hey everybody, this is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the touchpoint media network. So let's recap Dr.
0: Sands advice. Number one, find the doc who will listen to you. Number two. Take an interest in your health. It is not a spectator sport. You need to participate if you want to help the system achieve its potential. Doesn't mean you have to change your whole life inside out, but just understand, take an interest and be involved. Number three, if you're a caregiver for somebody, whether it's a child or an elder or anyone else, participate there also. Be at the appointment and in the hospital as much as you can. Just help things work out the best they can. Number four, Take part in every care decision. Doesn't have to be a big deal, but sometimes it is. Just understand it's inappropriate to put all the burden on them. It's your body, your health. Number five, learn what you can online. But just like with everything else online, don't be a sucker. Be careful and check with people you trust. And finally, find a doc that you work well with whatever your style is. Sometimes some people like to have a more authoritarian person who just makes all the decisions. If that's the kind of person you are, uh, then find that kind of doctor. And uh, on the other hand, if you're like me and you like a doctor who welcomes all kinds of questions and involvement, find that kind of person too. So now we're going to see how these principles actually play out in a Patient clinician relationship. Dr. Sands and I sometimes give speeches together, and this year we've had great success with reenacting parts of two actual appointments. Now, this, this, the scenes that you're about to hear are slightly fictionalized. For instance, I don't have the cousin I mentioned, but this is straight up how we do it. So here we go. In this speech, A few weeks ago, we had just finished the first lecture portion of our presentation, and we sat down at a table with the computer and reenacted these scenes. So having talked about this in the abstract, we're going to recreate two visits from my cancer story early in 2007. We're going to role-play them the first time through, We're going to go through the visits, pieces of the conversation, as they would happen if he were an old-style doctor. And then we're going to discuss that a bit, and later on, we'll go back and replay it the way it actually happened. And we hope it'll be vividly apparent what a difference it makes when the patient is viewed as an active part of the thing, rather than the clinical material that the doctor sprays things on. So, the date was December 30th, 2006. I had moved away for a few years, and I came back. It was the first time I'd seen Dr. Sands. And so this was just a routine physical. Neither one of us had any idea what
2: news we were about to get. Dave, hi. Nice to see you. How are you doing? Nice to see you. Pretty good. Okay, good. So uh, let's get started. So what, uh, what brings you in today? Well, I sent
0: you that email with a dozen things
2: that I want to go over. Email. So you sent me an email. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, Dave. I, I, I don't uh, read emails. Uh, now, this again, this is the old model of being a
0: doctor, rather than this is not the way it actually happened. And we're going to, as they say, break the fourth wall a little and express our thoughts as if we had thought bubbles <laughs> uh, in a background here. So I'm thinking... I put a lot of work into planning this. I mean, we've got a limited amount of time together. And I mean, at the office, nobody would ever call a meeting without f- talking about what the agenda was going to be, right? I f- feel like,
2: like the work I put into this is worth nothing. So I get, I don't know, hundreds of emails each day, right? Right. I mean, the last thing I want to do with all the other paperwork and things I have is actually deal with an email from patients. I mean, I could get, you know, so many of them, I'd be worried about that. On the other hand, I do know that it's frustrating when I'm trying to leave the exam room, and as I'm trying to leave, and I'm already running behind, and a patient says, oh, by the way, doc, and he pulls out, it's always a he, pulls out a list, says, my wife gave me this list of things to ask you about. And so now that's just, you know, bazooka my whole my whole day. And so so I think that maybe it does make a little more sense if we could negotiate an agenda ahead of time. If I don't get any surprises from the patient when they're in the room. And so maybe email is a good way to do this. And when I think about it, I think it's a good way it's asynchronous, so we can kind of do that whenever we want. Back to the visit. Tell me about this shoulder problem, Dave.
0: It's not really a sharp pain. It's just kind of stiff, like instead of reaching up, it's easier for me to do this.
2: Dave, is there something wrong with your neck as well? I, I no, noticed that I'm, you're craning your neck. and what, What's that about? No, I'd like to see what you're putting in the computer. In this computer? Yeah. You know, Dave, really all I'm doing is writing notes uh, to, you know, so other doctors who take care of you and other nurses in the practice can see what's going on with you. And frankly, a lot of it is just so that we can get paid for the time we spend. Pay for the visit. It's nothing to worry about. Well, okay, but I'd still like to know what he's writing.
0: You know, I mean, is it correct? And besides, I'm curious, what, what do these people talk about? That saying back there, nothing about me without me. Why shouldn't I see?
2: Look, I hate this thing. This thing that's in the exam room, I just hate it, and I certainly don't want to have to deal with somebody, you know, looking at my screen while I'm doing this, looking at my mistakes and, you know, words I use. I just think that it'd be so frustrating. On the other hand, I think that maybe, maybe it does make sense for the patients to see what I'm doing because maybe they can collaborate on developing the story so I can actually get the, the facts straight. So maybe that would actually be a helpful thing. I'm not sure. I'll have to think about it. So um, moving on to uh, some of the preventive health things, Dave. So given your age, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to be sending a uh, blood test called a PSA. You don't have to worry about it. It's just a prostate cancer screening test. No big deal. PSA?
0: I saw something in the New York Times a couple of months ago that said that's not such a good idea these days. Or there at least ought to be a discussion. It's, it's, it's not that good a test. And even if it says there's a problem, there might not be. And the treatments might cause more trouble. So like, what's, does he know this?
1: <laughs>
0: I, and how do they decide that, it, that I should have it and somebody else shouldn't?
2: Look, I make you know, hundreds of decisions every day the last thing I want to do is have to you know, have a conversation about every single decision that I make. And, and to be honest with you, I've got the education. I've got the training. I know what needs to be done. Don't bother me. Just let me do my job, right? Although I do understand that you know, increasingly many of the decisions that we make are not without controversy. There are pros and cons to all of these things. And you know, and it may, maybe by making these decisions, I'm putting an undue burden on myself. And maybe if I involve the patients in some of the decisions, maybe that makes sense. Maybe they'd be able to help decide whether it's right for them. And, and if they're actually more engaged in this uh, thought process, then they're going to be more engaged in following the plan and the outcomes and so on. So maybe, maybe it is a, a good thing, something I'll have to think about. My feeling is I'm not a number in a statistical table. You know, I'm one individual All right, so I think we're almost done uh, here. When the tests come back, I'll let you know if there's anything to worry about. Giant red flag. I work in
0: quality improvement projects at my day job, and one of the best setups for disaster is if somebody sends an instruction and assumes that everybody will get the word and that the work will be done. I mean, I read an analysis about the Three Mile Island nuclear plant disaster. It turns out what happened there was an instruction was sent to close the valve, and the dashboard the guy was sitting at just showed that the instruction had been sent, and they never got word back whether the valve
2: had been closed. Need to close the loop. Well, you know, I I think that maybe, maybe patients should have access to their test results, because when you think about it, if I have a patient here, we're going to assault them with a sharp instrument and take a piece of their body and do something with it, maybe they kind of have a right to know what's happening with that specimen and what the results are. I'll have to think about that. That was December 30th, 2006. My wife
0: and I went away for the holiday weekend. We came back, and on January 2nd, I saw an orthopedist and got a shoulder x-ray. The next morning is a moment that is burned in permanent multisensory memory in my record of my life. 9 a.m. exactly, the phone rang, and I can still vividly see the phone on the desk at work. It was Dr. Sands. He said, Dave, the radiologist called me, and I called the image up on my screen at work. Your shoulder's going to be fine, but there's something in your lung. And to make a long story short, what was in my lung turned out to be a tumor of kidney cancer that had spread, turns out it was all through my body. Those three weeks were a whirlwind. I know some of you out there have been through something like this. And my entire focus of my life turned upside down and inside out. And after visits with the oncologist, I came back, and later in January, we had another visit. Hey, Dave. How
2: you doing? Not so good. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Well, you know, let's, let's just dig into this. Um, you know, so at this point, you've been to the oncologist, and you understand... Your diagnosis, right, and the plan. Um, Is is there anything I can help with at this point? Um, What do I need to know? Yeah, you know what? The oncologists are really good at this, and they're going to tell you everything you need to know. The only thing I would tell you is just do yourself a favor and stay off of the internet.
0: Stay off the internet? I mean, I understand there's garbage on the Internet. I've been online since before the Internet, in the 1980s. Yeah, there are idiots out there, but the Internet is where I found some of the most important information in my life. I mean, I found my wife on the Internet in 1999. It was on Match.com. We were one of their first successes, but I didn't marry the first search result. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, I wanna know. Some people I know some people don't want to know, but I wanna know everything I can to understand. Why is he saying no?
2: So when I think about this, you know, I you know there's so much stuff on online. It's frightening stuff. I can tell you stories about people who have found information online ignored regular medical advice and and done crazy things like getting ozone therapy because they read online, that would be a good thing to do. There's so many websites, I think it's hard to navigate that. On the other hand, I do know that I've read uh, some studies showing that actually patients are surprisingly good at discerning good from bad websites, not necessarily information, but, but websites online. And, you know, I think that knowledge is power. And, and I think that if patients can really understand what's going on with them, then they might be able to be more engaged in their care. And maybe that would be a good thing. So,
0: how can I keep up on things as the treatment goes on? Mm. Uh, can
2: I log in and look at? Yeah, look, it's complicated. Uh, there's all this, uh, there are going to be a million notes and, you know, things and this and that and all this stuff. And, and I would just say, you know, if there's anything you need to know, we'll let you know. Uh, the doctor's involved will let you know because all this stuff is too much. Boy, you know, I know
0: there are people, there are people in my family where to them, taking care of them means you just shelter them. You know, they, they just like you you decide what you have to decide. But I've got a huge appetite for information, even if it's not favorable information. I mean, the more I know, the less my imagination runs wild. And honestly, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking this might be the end of my life. I mean, my median survival at diagnosis was 24 weeks. And who is anybody to tell me to stay uninformed in a situation like that?
2: Look... If you look at all the doctor's notes that are out there, even, you know, radiologist notes for that matter, and they're not even really taking care of patients, I guess. But, but if you look at all these doctor's notes, there's so much information there. There's so much that's going on. People write things that are scary, you know, cannot exclude cancer. Well, in this case, it doesn't matter. But so many people might be alarmed by that. Or they could read about the SOB, which, of course, for us means shortness of breath. But patients can sometimes think, why is this doctor calling me an SOB? Or we say things that are clinical that can be misinterpreted in the colloquial sense. So if I say this obese patient, the point is, is there's all this stuff, whether it's scary or, or viewed as pejorative, that, that can be confusing and, and upsetting to patients. And, and I'd be concerned that they'd not be able to really know how to understand this, and it might alarm them or upset them in other ways. So what you just heard is a classic example of
0: paternal caring. And I'm not saying that in an insulting way. There are times, my granddaughter's a great example, of where somebody who has more competence needs to make decisions and take care of somebody. But I am a specimen of, you might say, the teenage war for independence. I want to be the one to make these decisions. Thank you very much. And the big difference, going back again to Gutenberg and the internet, the big difference, today is that enabled by the information flow of the internet, we are able to see things that we couldn't 50 years ago. All right. So anything else, Dave? Well, so this treatment they say they're going to give me has side effects that can kill people. I mean, it's a horrible disease and horrible treatments. I have a cousin who's wrote to me. He said he heard something about this, some herbal remedy. Have you heard of this? Well,
2: is your cousin a physician? No, I'm a nurse, just, I'm just a asking. pharmacist? Just asking. Look, you know, as I told you earlier, if there's anything you need to know, you know trust your doctors and the, the care team to, to tell you this information. Just watch out because there are a lot of people who have their opinions about things and that can really lead you astray. The final thing that strikes me
0: about this, and in a way it drives me nuts because these are smart people who are giving me this advice? But I remember decades ago, I worked in desktop publishing, and the users of desktop publishing software got together online, formed the desktop publishing forum on CompuServe and Quark Express user groups, and so on. And not only did they trade information, like for instance, oh, yeah, that feature actually doesn't work, Quark won't tell you, but here's how you get around it. And the autonomy that emerged was we developed our own workflows, our own definitions of what was valuable. And that was exactly what I felt I wanted in connecting with other patients.
2: Once again, there's bad information out there. Uh, There are individuals who have an outsized voice, because in the Internet world, everyone is their own publisher, right? So people can have these outsized voices. We know some of these people who are on TV all the time get a great deal of respect, and what they're saying is total garbage. So we do have to, you know, I really want to protect my patients from that. On the other hand, um, I do know that, uh, I I guess I appreciate the peer support model outside of healthcare, because I know that anytime I have trouble with my EHR, which seems to happen a lot, I can go online and there's a user support community of other doctors and nurses who are using my EHR, and they support each other through this. And I know what happens when I'm using Microsoft Word as well. Often I don't get to the real technical support people, I'm getting to peers And honestly, that peer support can be quite useful at times.
0: So that was the before version, the way old-fashioned doctors do things, but with some reconsideration in between. And doctors are indeed under many pressures. So what you want to do in raising these ideas is be collaborative. Speak with your physician as good partners. That's the whole point of participatory medicine. Now, we then went back to the lectern for more lecture during this conference session, then came back to the table again and reenacted those visits the way Dr. Sands and I actually do things, and you can too. Again, this is slightly fictionalized, open notes hadn't been introduced yet, but this is truly what it's like. 45 seconds into this, you'll hear him say, would you like to see what I'm doing? As he turns the computer so I can watch, so I can participate. Now we're going to replay those visits the way they actually happen. And just notice what a contrast there is when you shift from the doctors know everything worth knowing, patients can't know anything, to collaboration.
2: So hi, Dave. How are you? Good. So uh, what brings you in today? Well, I sent you that email. Oh, yeah. That email that was great. That really helps us understand what we're going to do in the visit today. Now I know what your concerns are and what's important to you, so we'll be able to great. focus on it. And uh, I have some things I want to focus on as well. So um, tell me about that shoulder problem that you emailed me about. So
0: I've had this stiff shoulder. It's not really a sharp
2: pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, would you like to see what I'm doing? Sure. Oh, good. Let's do that. So, um, so good. Um, so uh, I got. No, this.
0: not the left shoulder. The right shoulder.
2: Oh, I'm glad you told me that. He makes okay. typos.
1: <laughs> wait I'm
2: not perfect <laughs> that's not evident. okay that was a joke guys
1: okay. <laughs>
2: Man. oh yeah good thing you caught that uh, after the note is signed we're not gonna, I'm not allowed to change this anymore so it's good that you caught it now that's, that's good.
0: I was amazed to discover that an x-ray report from before my cancer identified me as a 53 year old woman I thought what but it took months to get them to go back and change it and they weren't allowed to edit it they had to
2: add an addendum so, Dave, uh, you're at the age now where we, uh, we have to talk about whether or not we want to do screening for prostate cancer. Okay. So there's a test called a PSA. It's, it's a blood test. Uh-huh. And while that sounds simple, uh, it's not a great blood test. And sometimes when it's positive, it doesn't mean necessarily that you have cancer, and you have to do additional testing to try to figure it out. Okay. And that additional testing is a biopsy. And then that's like stick a needle in me. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And then and then it won't get those results. We still don't necessarily have a good idea of whether this is going to be a serious cancer or not serious cancer. It turns out that many people die with prostate cancer, not from it. They die from other reasons, but sometimes it is serious. OK, so
0: if I understand correctly, it really depends how much I want to, like, check for every possible thing versus just let it ride, keep Yeah, and I, mean, on I it. think
2: that, that uh, it, it is controversial. We don't know what the best thing to do okay. is, and everybody's got to make a decision for themselves. And I'm going to give you some information that's going to help you make a more informed decision. Great. There's no rush to send this test. We can send it next visit.
0: Okay, great.
2: Okay, good. I sent some other tests. We're going to send some other tests that we had talked about. And when all those tests come back, you'll get a notification so that you can look them up online on our portal. Excellent. Great. That's what I want. So
0: that was the visit just before the diagnosis. Now we'll switch to after.
2: So you've been to the oncologist, and uh, I understand you understand the diagnosis and, and, and what the plan is. Is there anything else I can help you with on this, Dave? I just I, – uh,
0: anything I can do to help, I want to. My wife and I have been Googling. and She's a retired
2: veterinarian. She knows a lot of
0: medical stuff. What do I need to know?
2: Yeah, um, I'm I'm glad you're going online, learning more about your condition. Um, And the other thing is I've I've found some websites that I think you might find helpful. Great. So take a look at these as well. Thank you. Good. So how can I keep up on the progress
0: of things? I know this isn't going to be easy.
2: Yeah, it it is difficult, and there's a lot of stuff going on. You're in the midst of all these tests, and you learned about how to get your test results. And I know you've been using our portal for years, but what you might not know is you can actually look at all your notes online as well, so that when our, the doctors are writing their visit notes, like I'm doing today, you'll be able to see them online, and you can follow your care that way. We call that open notes. Open notes. Yeah. Excellent. Open notes. Good. So... Side effects.
0: I've heard this is a tough disease. Yeah. I have a cousin. I don't know if it's worth anything, but I have a cousin who told me about an herbal remedy he saw on Facebook.
2: You know, I would be careful about other information that you're seeing. You do have to be careful of what you're finding. But there are some online communities of other people many of whom know what they're talking about, and these are mature communities, okay. and so they correct errors and so on. And so I'm going to actually recommend it. I wrote this down for you. There's a, a website which is an online support community, and they have a group within this that discusses kidney cancer, your kind of cancer.
0: Part of the mythology of my case out in the rumor mill is that I went out on the Internet and found a treatment that my doctors didn't know about. What actually happened is Dr. Sands referred me to this patient community. And that was the first place I heard about interleukin, which they said was available at my hospital. So this was full collaboration between the two of us. And boy, am I glad, I've got goosebumps right now, just so happy that it worked out and I'm alive.
1: This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals, healthcare organizations, to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. See that? Full collaboration. A participatory healthcare
0: professional welcomes my desire to understand as much as I can. It doesn't mean I think I'm a doctor. It does mean I'm stepping up to be as involved as I can to help share the work, share the responsibility, share the decisions. I'll put a summary of all these teaching points in the show notes for this episode. Dr. Sands and I both hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll it will help you see that it really can be valuable to learn how to increase your power to become empowered and engaged in your healthcare and e-patient. In future episodes, you'll meet many of the people, both patients and professionals, who are walking the talk of this new approach to health and care, where the patient and family are actively involved and are welcomed by clinicians into the new era of the power of the patient. I hope you'll come back and bring friends And don't forget to do that thing that's so important to all podcasters. Rate us on iTunes and everywhere else because that boosts whether we show up high when people search for health podcasts. I'm very frank about my purpose in doing this. I just want to change the world in ways that matter to you, the health consumer, the person who has the needs for which the whole industry exists. And I also care deeply about creating a better life for the health professionals who helped save my life. So please let us know who you'd like to have on, what topics you'd like to hear about, anything. Remember the World Bank says empowerment is increasing people's capacity to make choices about what they want and take effective action. This podcast really is about helping healthcare achieve its potential by supporting and improving your power, the
1: power of the patient